Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us today in this episode of Educator Essentials, the podcast where we talk with our members about tips and tricks and strategies to aid faculty, preceptors, and those involved in the education of the pharmacy workforce. My name is Gina Luchin. I'm Director of Academic Programs here at ASHP, and today we will be chatting with Dr. Brian Hayes, Director of PGY2 Emergency Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital, about how to utilize pharmacy students and residents as extenders of care. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. Absolutely. So let's start by um, telling us a little bit about yourself and your role as an educator for both students and residents, and then we'll kick it off from there. Sure thing. Uh, It's kind of evolved over the course of my career. So I started off as a chemist and I worked in the lab for a couple of years and realized that I really wanted to be with people more. And I also did not want a PhD in chemistry. So that was kind of out the window. So I started looking at different options and I considered medical school. um, And at the time, this is back in the early 2000s, I know I'm dating myself, that's okay. Back in the early 2000s, I I didn't realize pharmacists did anything other than work at roles like CVS. And so that was what what I thought. And then I talked to a couple of pharmacists, ironically, who worked at CVS, who told me that the education now with the PharmDs was a lot more clinically focused, especially um, on rotations. There was residency training. And so that was the first I had heard of this. Um, So I ended up going to pharmacy school And I graduated in 05 from MCP in Worcester, Massachusetts. I stayed in Worcester for one more year to do a PGY-1 residency at UMass. Then I moved down to Baltimore, where I ended up being for a full decade. But I started out um, in a two-year toxicology fellowship at the Maryland Poison Center University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. And that's really where I started to get my legs as a preceptor. There was a lot of teaching required as part of that uh, fellowship. And then I started my first job as an ED pharmacist at the University of Maryland Medical Center, where I stayed from 2008 to 2016. And that's really where I started to precept a lot. And I had students from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. And then we had residents, both our PGY-1 residents at Maryland. um, And then we started a PGY-2 emergency medicine program. So lots of different experiences there. And then in 2016, my family moved back to the Boston area, closer to our extended families, um, where I started at Mass General Hospital. And my roles evolved since then. I started in kind of the same emergency medicine pharmacist role as I had at Maryland. And then about two years ago, I was able to become a clinical manager. So now I oversee the ED team, the pediatric team, and the overnight pharmacy team. And then I direct the residency, like you said. So my role has kind of changed over the years, but I still have a lot of precepting and uh, it's one of my passions. That's great. What a journey from the laboratory benches to the emergency department to now uh, precepting, teaching, and then also the residency program. So that's a very exciting journey. So I know that you're very involved, as you mentioned, with your role as pharmacy program director residency program director. You deal a lot with students, you deal a lot with residents, and I know you recently released an article on improving burnout through reducing administrative burden, a pilot of pharmacy-driven medication histories on hospital medicine service. And that talks a little bit about students as well. Can you tell us a bit about this research project? Yeah, this is really cool, actually. So my boss, the director of clinical pharmacy services, 
worked closely with some of the hospitalists, uh, the lead hospitalists at, at Mass General. The hospitalist team got a grant, an internal grant, to study burnout within their team. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about more of the, about the logistics for that team in just a second. So in 2018, we launched a pilot in the emergency department, which is how I got involved, funded by this grant to use pharmacy interns. So students really in their, in, in most of the years of schooling, um, we, we take all the way from P3 up through P6 to, to basically take medication histories on complicated patients getting admitted through the ED to the, the, our inpatient border service, which is covered by the hospital. So the way that it works at my hospital, which is both the same as some and, and very different than others, how we manage inpatient borders in the ED, but we actually have a dedicated team of hospitalists stationed in the ED that take care of these admitted medicine patients until they go upstairs to their their floor. So it's a really unique opportunity to be really close with the team because a lot of times those patients are covered by uh, teams that are upstairs, uh, so to speak, and, and not really present physically. But here it's not. So we have a very close working relationship with them. And so they were really on board with trying. They were looking at it mainly from the preventing burnout in their physician and and PA and NP team versus us that was thinking about this as a great opportunity uh, to expand the role of pharmacy interns and technicians within our emergency department. Gotcha. So it's really an interprofessional effort and collaboration, not only for pharmacy, but also with our colleagues, physicians. So that's, that's a great project. Yeah. So to date, we've we've um, since 2018. I think it was September that we launched it. So we're more than two years in now. We're at 2,500 or 3,000 patients that we've had had medication histories collected by this team of trained interns or technicians. And so this paper was one of a two part series. Uh, this was the the briefer one that was looking specifically at burnout in the mm-hmm. physicians and APPs. We found that there there was a, a degree of decrease in, in burnout in an anonymous survey that we did before and after among this team uh, when they in patients that we had pharmacy technicians or interns doing the medication histories. And then what we're working on now, I can't really share most of the data yet, but I will say that the, the bigger project uh, when we did propensity score matching and other things, we found some really significant improvements in some patient-oriented outcomes that I think will be of interest. So we're working on that paper now, and I'm excited to have that one come out next. That's wonderful, and that's a great spin-off. I think, as you mentioned, one of the learnings from your research, you said, is how interns, residents can be utilized for pharmacy extender roles and to support other interprofessional colleagues. Can you kind of dive into that concept a little bit more? Yeah, we like to think about it in terms of like uh, different buckets, but also in the vein of kind of the quote unquote practicing at the top of your license and a technical task like collecting the medication history. Um, we're not talking about the reconciliation piece. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just talking about the medication history itself. That's really not the best use of a physician or I'd argue even a pharmacist time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a task that has been shown in the literature um, in a lot of the pharmacy literature that can be done very well by pharmacy students and interns if they are trained appropriately. So we felt that this was a good use of kind of taking a, a technical task that, that took a significant amount of time 
on the physician's end and also wasn't that accurate. And then put that over to someone who was really paid to do that job. Like that was their literal job. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, they could actually spend a lot more time on it too. So one thing we found that was interesting was the average time the physicians took was about 20 to 25 minutes, whereas the pharmacist's student um, or intern was 45 minutes. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily because one was doing a better job than the other. It's just because that's how much time the pharmacy student was able to dedicate to it and, and do a good job at that. So what we did is we set up, um, we already have a co-op relationship with Northeastern Pharmacy School. And so we started with uh, students through that co-op program. So they're with us for four month blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, they go through a training program and then they, they work with us basically full-time 40 hours a week for the, the extent of their block. So the way that we we also arranged it is that since they are in the emergency department, the ED pharmacist, we're fortunate to have built a 24-7 practice there. They are sort of the hands-off supervisor in a way so that if there's any issues with a question or medication history, the ED pharmacist can help. Um, and we also co-sign their notes that actually go in the chart, which is cool too. Yeah. And that's a good experience for for the interns as well. I mean, this is their job. They can probably go more in depth and it's a win-win for the patients, for the providers and for the interns themselves. So that's a really, really good concept. I do want to step back a little bit and go into the concept of clinician well-being and resilience, and then the concept of burnout, especially for our clinicians and preceptors in pharmacy. Now, I know the research project focused on physicians primarily, but then thinking about our profession, can you Talk about a little bit about what do you think are the biggest contributors to burnout and how can we address them? Sure. Um, I think what I'm going to speak on is more broad. I think folks that have battled the the COVID waves in their hospitals may have things to add to it that are specific to the the pandemic that we've been facing for for almost a year now. But I will say that ASHP has really been at the forefront of identifying this as an issue. Um, And it's been one of their top issues for the last couple of years. We've had some articles in AJHP about, about this. So I'm really glad to see that this is extending into the pharmacy world as opposed to just the, the medicine side of things. So that, that's actually great. I can only really speak for clinical pharmacists because that's mm-hmm. what my background is and that's what I still do now. I'm working in a hospital setting. The non-clinical demands of the job, I think, are the biggest contributor. And I think though the way that we set things up for the clinical pharmacist to really advance or via career ladder or even just achieving personal goals is they really have to go above and beyond the basic role. And the basic role itself can be, I mean, it really is a full-time job. And yet we're, you know, responsible for teaching and research and committees, protocol, guideline development, precepting, residency leadership, all these things. And they're very difficult to do within a 40-hour work week without spending sometimes a significant amount of time outside of work. And so it's a vicious cycle of trying to do more and more to and be efficient while not often being given the time to do the things asked of you. And I know that many of us love and are very passionate about teaching and precepting, but if we don't have the time to properly dedicate to it, it can lead to burnout. And I think we're also, as pharmacists, a lot of us are very hard on ourselves. And so if we don't feel like we're doing the best at all of the things that are on our plate, okay. then um, you know we feel like we're, we're not adding as much value as we could. And, and then that kind of leads to, to more of a spiral. So I think for me, those are the things that contribute the most. Absolutely. I, and I think in the end there, you kind of mentioned a lot of the clinician pharmacists love teaching, precepting, sharing the knowledge, but it does take a significant amount of time to coach the students, prepare them, lead them through the process and kind of show them how you're thinking. 
you kind of step outside of what you're doing, kind of explain your process and then get back to it. So it does take time. But with that, there's also an opportunity. And you explored that a little bit with your with your paper, but what do you think are some creative ways that clinicians and preceptors specifically can engage learners in creative ways, but are also productive for their roles? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm going to mention two, and uh, the first one may be controversial. <laughs> I'll say that up front. So I, I feel like I'll have some pharmacists that totally agree with me and, and others that may not, but that's okay. This is a topic that I have pretty strong feelings about just based on my 15 years of, of doing this, and that, that is topic discussions. I think these are a necessary part of teaching and precepting for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think the manner in which we as preceptors conduct them is sometimes a direct contributor to our burnout. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, we'll set up one or two hour topic discussions, you know, three days a week. And that takes us away from, you know, for three to six hours from all of our other duties while we're focusing on it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be focusing on these with our residents mm-hmm. and our learners, but what I am saying is that this is not consistent with how it's done in non-pharmacy clinical specialties, like the medicine colleagues that we work with. We, I don't think in pharmacy yet we put enough ownership on the learner. So mm-hmm. we leave the preceptor with spend a lot of hours in preparation apart from the activity itself, which is okay, especially as, as you're a new preceptor and are still learning these things yourselves. But the truth is that a learner can't retain an hour or two's worth of information anyway. So my approach, um, starting probably a couple of years after I graduated fellowship and I started to really realize that this was an issue was I like to use the Socratic method while discussing patients when we're in the clinical area. So you can start to delve into a topic and then when the learner gets stuck, you just redirect them to another aspect of the topic or leave the rest as assigned reading after the shift is over. And then you can come back to that the next day rather than spend an hour just sort of talking at them. You're actually engaging them in discussion. And then you kind of can find the three or four main points that they can take away. And then another three or four that they may need to follow up the next day. Mm -hmm. And I also find that tying topic discussions to real life patients is the best way to get the information to stick. I can tell any learner like, Hey, go learn about urinary tract infections and we'll talk about it tomorrow. But if we have a case of a, of a sick sepsis patient with um, a urinary tract or pyelonephritis, and that, that learner is always going to remember that patient. And now now it's going to really stick with them and it's going to become personal. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's really a great way to tie topic discussions together. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great strategy. And I think we've had another podcast for our listeners who are interested more. We we do have another one talking about the Socratic method. I think your way of incorporating it within the actual learning experience and and precepting experience is is really fantastic to, to tie in those concepts and making students more interesting. Wouldn't you say they engage more in that way? I think that they are, and um, we'll talk about it a little bit in, in when we close out, but I think it even helps the folks that are even either unmotivated or maybe just overwhelmed by the environment in which they're in, because the, this method helps you to break things down into a lot smaller pieces that are digestible. It's kind of, I always remember when I was a kid my and, you know, would just get to the age where we're starting to like go around the neighborhood to rake yards for money. And my dad used to always tell me, cause I used to get overwhelmed. It's like, well, don't look at the whole yard, like just take it <laughs> in pieces. And all of a sudden, after you've done different pieces for a while, you'll actually have done the whole yard. And, and that's the same to me with if there's like a really complex patient, there's like nine different problems that we have to tackle. If you just look at all of them, it's really overwhelming. But if you break them down one by one, then it's a lot, it's a lot more digestible for the learner. 
Absolutely. And then you mentioned uh, two ways. So the first one is the Socratic method. And what was the second way? Yeah, the second way ties back into the the extender um, theme that we've been talking about already, which is we really need to utilize our learners and this can be students or residents. And, and then obviously like what you have them do will depend on, on their experience, but they can help with many of the projects that we're working on. Um, what a great learning experience for a student or resident to help update a guideline. As long as the preceptor is really clear um, and provides thorough instructions and expectations mm-hmm. at the start, we can actually save ourselves a lot of work and then serve more in the reviewer editor role. Mm-hmm. And it saves us some time and effort while providing a real life opportunity that will actually help the learner in future career roles, which is what I always aim for. So I, I even offer this type of opportunity when I'm doing, uh, let's just say AJHP sends me an article to review. Right now I have my PGY2 resident on his ED admin rotation with me and any any articles that come through, we'll actually do them together. So I'll have him do it separately and I'll do, I'll give him instructions on how to do it and then we'll do it separately. And then we'll meet and we'll actually compare our notes on the review. And then I'll actually use some of their material when I submit the peer review so that they feel like they've really been a part of that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that way it helps them to be really think critically about, you know, with their own writing as they start to prepare their manuscripts at the end of the year. So that's just one opportunity. Now, I will tell you when you're, when you're starting this, it can end up being more work for you mm-hmm. um, because you, you, the more work you're kind of giving out, you're going to have to kind of still do a lot of that work yourself and then double check it. But as they get better at it, it's, it's, it's actually a a good useful partnership because then they can do some of the things and then you can kind of tie the loose ends together and pass it on to the next, the next role, obviously always giving credit for it with, for them, with who, you know, whoever you're sharing that with. Of course. And it's in the spirit of really training them for the role they will assume after graduation or after their residency. So it's, uh, it's really a win-win for you and for them. It's, it's a really valuable learning process. So I know we're kind of coming down to our, to our time here, but we've talked a lot about uh, some good stuff. Burnout, we talked about ways to utilize our learners, some different methods you've used that you found effective. In closing, what final advice would you have for educators looking to expand ways they utilize learners? And also, based on your experience in the years that you've had, what are your lessons learned that you wanted to share with our listeners? Yeah, tying it back to the the extenders and in, in precepting, I, I think the best advice that I can give is to take stock of all the tasks that you have on your plate. And I know that that actually in itself is a task because it'll it'll take a lot of time to kind of, what are, what are the committees that I'm on? What's all the things I'm actually doing on a month to month basis? And then identify which ones would be good learning opportunities and then create brief, clear outlines for the role the learner will play. And again, like I said, this will take a little bit of upfront work, but mm-hmm. then you will open up lots of time down the road when the learner starts to play that primary role and then you serve more in that editor reviewer role. And as you mentioned, this uh, is great for future career uh, because they're going to be doing these things anyway, so they might as well be trained to do them now. But it also, and this is a something I'm also really passionate about is feedback. I think it provides lots more opportunity for you to give feedback and as a preceptor work on your feedback skills. So a couple of colleagues and I published a feedback article in HHP a couple of years ago um, that talks a little bit about this. So I feel like a lot of our preceptors, they, they get pretty good at feedback in the clinical setting, but when it comes to the non-clinical stuff, you're not really sure how to do that. But if you've created you know, little documents, expectations, outlines, then you can kind of really hold the learner accountable to those. And it helps you perfect your feedback skills in non-clinical arenas, which I think is really helpful. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for all the insights you've shared. Uh, I really appreciate your time today and, and really sharing your insights into maximizing learners as extenders of care. I know this is a topic that more and more preceptors are currently looking at. So hopefully for those listening, you found some helpful information. If you haven't already, we also encourage you to check out ACHP Educator Resources at ashp.org slash pharmacy educators. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, and then also exchange ideas with your peers and fellow preceptors at ASHP Education Connect community. Thank you again for tuning in for this section of Educator Essentials, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.